Welcome to Better Business with Magic. I'm your host, Nolan Webster, where I pull back the curtain and expose the concepts of magic that can help you in your business, your personal life, be more creative, and overcome obstacles. So stay tuned. My guest for today is Dan Saw. I met him roughly 20 years ago in Gulfport, Mississippi. He started performing magic at the age of 12 in Raleigh, North Carolina. That dream led him to performing stand-up comedy, writing, hosting morning shows, acting, TV, and much more. He's currently a painter. So if anybody knows how to incorporate concepts of magic into other industries, it's this guy right here, Dan Saw. Dan, thank you and welcome. Thanks, Nolan. Yeah, it's been a while. It's good talking to you. Yeah, I was just thinking whenever we were setting this up about how we first met, and it was at a magic uh, club meeting in Gulfport, correct? It was. It, it actually was. Yeah, there was, uh, I moved to Mississippi to the coast because of the casinos. I was doing stand-up comedy, and uh, one of the guys that I ran into on the base was doing uh, Walk Around Magic. And I was like, man, I used to do magic back, uh, back in the day. And uh, I showed him a few things. He showed me a few things. It was uh, Lou Zaki, actually. Okay. And, uh, and he said, yeah, we have meetings. You know, the, and we got together and you were there. And that was, uh, that was awesome. Yeah, and your career path led you to performing more and doing comedy and, and writing and producing and everything else. And mine, well, not so much. No, <laughs> you, you, you still, I'm sure, have applied uh, what you learn and your ideas and creativity in your job and how, uh, how you perceive things and how you go about it. I, I, think, I think you can do that with uh, magic and the entertainment industry uh, and apply it to all aspects of life. Oh, I'm sure. And it was funny. You said that the casinos brought you to Mississippi. Uh, it's the same thing for me. I was in uh, South Carolina and wanted to get more into the entertainment industry and moved back to the Gulf Coast where, where I'm from and uh, tried to get into the casinos and, and that whole environment and uh, just never panned out. Yeah, I got really lucky. And that's a lot of people. And I, I got to say, I've been I've been blessed in a sense that I was able to work in the entertainment industry, uh, I would say my, my whole life, but you know, a lot of people, they, they're like, Oh, I never heard of you. You know, there's tens and thousands of people that, that work in, in entertainment and do magic and stuff that, that aren't famous. And, uh, y you know, y you do what you can, if you're, if you're blessed enough to be able to make a living at it, uh, which I was, of course, it changed many different directions, but uh, I, I was doing stand-up comedy at the time when I was 20 and 25, 26. Uh, I did some shows down here and I ran into one of the guys that was uh, the house MC at, at Casino Magic in Biloxi. And he kind of primed the way. He said, I'm getting out of it. Why don't you fill in for me? And then he eventually... Uh, let my agent know that I could do it full time. So I moved down here, became the house MC and still did other gigs in the uh, Southeast in between. But uh, when I did one of the other casinos, 
which was uh, the Grand Casino in Gulfport, they were hiring a comedian magician. And they were like, yeah, they heard my name, but they were like, he doesn't do magic. And somebody said, I think he did magic before. So they called me and, and I incorporated the magic once again into the comedy and uh, did some shows there. So uh, I was back on the magic scene after, uh, I guess, a, a 10 year hiatus just doing comedy. But uh, yeah, I, I loved it down here. I was able to get into all the casinos. I don't know how. I don't even remember. I guess, uh, yeah, just kind of get lucky that way. So you started with magic when you were 12. What was that transition from magic to comedy? You know, uh, the, the first time I saw a magician, I was like seven years old in the hospital and it had a magician walking around and I was like, I was, I was hooked. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get enough of it. And I'd go to magic shows. My, my parents would take me and uh, started learning magic. But I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and there was a place, of course, you know, before we even got into town, I, I looked up uh, magic shops. There's a place called the Magic Corner, and I, we rolled into town literally and drove there. That's, that, they were really supportive, my family. And, uh, and I saw some stuff, and we bought some you know, magic stuff. And, uh, I kept going back and they were like, you know, kid, if you want to, if you want to, we'll teach you how to do all these tricks. You know, if you, uh, if you basically work here, you know, so I swept up and, and, uh, polished the cabinets and vacuumed <laughs> and, uh, had a great relationship with them. And, uh, then after, a couple of years, I was like 14 or 15 years old. They said, you should start doing, doing more shows. And, uh, and so I got into doing that. And then a lot of the people that would come into the magic shop were comedians. And right down the street was Charlie Goodnights was a comedy club. And this guy would always come in. He was in college at the time. And he would say, man, I need, I need a new illusion. I need a new trick for my show. I want something to do this. And he would explain. And uh, so we'd go through some of the stuff and show him the new stuff that, that came up. And uh, that guy actually became my agent when I got into comedy because I thought, you know, uh, a comedy club is a good way you can, you can do magic. It's a, it's a platform where uh, it's not just comedy. So I started doing that and uh, quit college and started washing dishes at a comedy club and started doing time on stage. It was pretty sad. I mean, it was a it was a jump that that parents really hate to think about quitting college and washing dishes to to get in. But I would do anything to get into uh, doing magic and comedy on stage, and, and that's what I did. And did it pay off? I think I think a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So so let me use that to pick you back off the first concept, which is the scripting. Whenever magicians typically buy an effect or buy a trick. Most of them come with a pre-written script and they're pretty horrible, they're pretty generic. So how did you, I'm sure from the magic shop, learn all these standard scripts and pattern to then writing your own for either you know, commercials or for stand-up or things of that nature? Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting because when you think about it, if somebody teaches you how to do an illusion or uh, you know, table magic or whatever it, you can see how it's done, but you know, what do you say about it? How do you present it? 
And that is, is very, can be very unique in a way. So you can see a trick done or an illusion done by one person and see the same exact thing done by another, but the way they present it, you know, it, it not just sheds a new light on it, but it, it can almost seem completely different. Uh, sometimes better, sometimes not. But uh, for me, that was, you know, writing comedy, I always looked at my life and tried to write around my life and uh, the jokes would come from there. And if there was an illusion that I could fit in with that, uh, then I would do it. And I, I can't even think of any examples uh, that right offhand. But even if it's from like an appearing wand or cane, you know, it's, uh, it can either, you know, represent an object rather than something that is happening before your eyes. You know, you, you talk about, gosh, Nolan, I thought I was a lot more creative to be able to come up with uh, <laughs> some original patter on the spot, but uh, I, seem to, I seem to have gotten stuck. <laughs> but do you, you know what I'm saying though, right? Yeah. With yeah. So one thing you mentioned was that with comedy, you try to write about your life experiences and for a lot of magicians, they're guilty of not knowing who they are. So their presentation is very generic. It's not until they mature as a performer and as a magician, as a person, and then have that conversation with themselves of who am I, who am I trying to be in this role before that they can actually tie a decent presentation and script to that effect and make it their own. And that's one of the bad things about magic that comedy doesn't have is that for us as magicians, it is very easy to see the same trick done by several magicians throughout a place, a, a meeting, a gathering. But for comedians, it's frowned upon. So if you write a joke, it's pretty much yours unless you somebody's there at the club, they steal it, but it's, it's frowned upon. Whereas with magic, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, that you may do a rising card trick, and I've, because it's published or for sale, I can go and pick it up and buy it and perform it as well. But the hard part is trying to make it your own, your own pattern, your own presentation. Yeah, yeah. Who, who was uh, uh, Fielding West did a fantastic job of incorporating comedy into a magic. I don't know if uh, you, you were able to see him when he was down here on the coast doing some shows. This was back in the late 90s, of course, but uh, but he would do something as simple as, as make a dove appear from, you know, a balloon. And, uh, you know, he had a little little toilet tissue. The, the, the bird would go to the bathroom on his shirt and, you know, he had a little thing in his pocket. It was a little toilet paper roll, real tiny, and he pulled it out and <laughs> wiped the bird. And it, it was, you know, it's silly, it's funny, but, you know, he just, he changed the whole thing of, hey, there's, it's not just a dove appearing. He, 
we just added more to it, you know, we made it silly. And of course you can put the, the dove in a bag and pop the bag where it disappears and feathers go everywhere. I think that's been done a thousand times. But. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you would write your material for stand-up or uh, producing commercials, is there a team that you workshop those ideas off of? Uh, it's a lot easier when there is. Uh, there was, I was doing a straight jacket routine and it was like, just, I, I, I don't want to say lame, but I didn't have anything to it. You can't just go and, and present a straight jacket, have somebody pull you in it. And then you get out of it without something, you know, and I, I was lucky enough to be in a theater with the, with a big stage and I didn't know how to fill up the stage. I didn't know what to do. And they were like, well, you need lighting, you, you need music and you need a reason. And, uh, so I, I made it overly dramatic. Like this is the biggest thing Houdini anybody could have done. So, you know, I exaggerated the, uh, the illusion in itself and what I was going to do. Uh, with, without even really talking, it was all, it was all gestures and stuff. And I had an assistant who was just, her, her role was just like, oh man, I got to do this again. This guy's going thin. She was really, you know, drab, kind of slow walking and, and kind of mocking what I was doing uh, with the illusion. And we had that that back and forth kind of fighting uh, as it was going along. And, and eventually I, I couldn't get out of the straight jacket. And so there's the joke there, you know, and she wouldn't come and help me. And, uh, and then she just walks off and then eventually I got out of it. So, you know, she came up with that idea because she was like, I don't want to help you with this. And then we just kind of brainstorm, but commercials are the same way. Uh, if, if we're writing a commercial for a company, uh, you know, m my aspect is always first to make it as look at the, the comical part of it to try to make it funny. Cause that's what I do. Uh, but yeah, there's a, if somebody has input, uh, they can always be a catalyst or you can be a catalyst to that big punchline to, to what makes it funny or what makes it happen. But yeah, I find, I find writers and, and writing circles, you can create a lot and, uh, and it's a lot of fun too. I'm, I'm not really, I don't want to say I'm not really great on my own, Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> now, now how much of uh, knowing your audience did that dictate as far as either your, your commercial writing or this, style of jokes you're going to create and perform? Well, you know, starting off as far as comedy goes, even, even magic, when, when you're doing live performances, you want to perform as, as much as possible uh, just to get the experience. And unfortunately, uh, or, or I shouldn't say unfortunately, you don't get the uh, privilege of saying like, Hey, I want to perform for this crowd that gets it. You know, you get everything. I mean, I, I was performing in front of, you know, college kids at, in the cafeteria to nursing homes, uh, during lunch breaks at hospitals. And 
you know, and when you think about who, who it is for your audience, I think great performers can, can write it for all and, and do a good job. But, you know, as far as your audience, your target audience, it's good to know. I, I, I didn't know, uh, trying to work things out who my target audience was until, uh, I don't know, many years later. But, but then again, you change as you age, you know, your audience may change. I just got uh, a job working now on a alternative rock station they wanted me to write a show for that uh, I did when I was in my late 20s and early 30s. And it was like, man, you're great. You're edgy. You're funny. And uh, now they called me to come back to do the show again, and they expect me to do the same thing. I don't think the age group changed. You know, there's still male, late teens uh, to, to 40s. I, I don't know. But uh, I changed, you know. I mean, I'm 50 now. That was you know, 20 years later, do the same show. So is that my target audience? Uh, you kind of got to – you kind of got to ho hopefully work to to appease all the audiences that you run across. But uh, honestly, Nolan, I totally forgot what your, your question was. <laughs> I started rambling for a second. No, you're doing good. No, it's just being able to uh, scripting or performing for your audience by knowing who your audience is. Like, for example, there are magicians out there that perform kids shows. And they're great. I don't do that. I perform mainly for adults, uh, kind of sophisticated mind reading type stuff and sophisticated magic. So that kind of drives my scripting. It drives the presentation. It drives what effects I do. In fact, on my website and on my promo material, you don't see children because I'm trying to convey that message of I'm not a children's performer. However, people still come and ask me, hey, perform for my three-year-old's birthday party. No, that's not me. So depending on, you know, if it's a family gathering or in a corporate environment or a private party, you know, my presentation changes. So as a, as a writer for, you know, comedy and you know, commercials, how much does your audience, whether it's a client or a straight up stage audience, you know, does that dictate how you write, if it does at all? Yeah, yeah, uh, it it definitely does. I guess if you look at, you know, as far as writing a commercial for an air conditioner uh, company who services ACs, and they want a funny commercial, you know, I assume you're targeting people that that own homes and and uh, probably in their thirties and forties, even. You can you can direct it in in other ways. I mean, but I'm sure they're older adults. You know, uh, the music dictates uh, a lot behind a commercial when when you're uh, producing it. Uh, the characters themselves. You know, are you having a a couple? Are you you know you're not going to have a goofy voice with some clown music or some heavy metal guitar uh, down the way. But a vape shop, on the other hand, you know. It's, it's a total different audience. So uh, I guess acting has a lot to do with it, trying to, uh, mm -hmm. to do that. Now, you said you picked up this uh, 
alternative radio show you're writing for that you haven't done in you know, 20 plus years. So, <laughs> so, so what's the technique you're using to make sure that you're, are you bringing some of the old material forward? Are you starting from scratch? What's that process like for you? You know, and, and this is what you were mentioning, you know, do you have, do you have writers? I, I immediately went to some of the guys that I worked with in the past and, and explained the situation. And, uh, and it was, it was funny cause, cause they were saying, you know, back then you're on fire, you had it, you, you know, now you're getting older and you kind of lose it. And, and I, I, I refuse to accept that. I'm like, I, I don't think you lose, you may change, you may have lost it, but, but I, I didn't lose it. And, and it, it's funny cause the other guys, you know, about my age. And, uh, so I started bringing the stuff from the past forward and he was like, heard it. He was pretty, he's pretty brutal. You know, you've already done that. Everybody that's hack and, and, uh, nobody's going to buy that. And it, it, so that kind of sparked me and, and, uh, lit something underneath me to go, you know what, we, we can do this again. And then he started coming up with bits and, and things that are funny. And then everybody else around the show that, that, uh, that are running the radio stations were like, yeah, uh, we can do this. So they, they all started uh, contributing a bit. So, and, and it's hard though, because if you're targeting somebody in their twenties and you're 50, I mean, how relatable can you be? And I, I think you have to just kind of think back to the time when you were, in your twenties and thirties and uh, not let the, the old dad jokes and cause my family, they don't think I'm funny. You know, they're like, ah, oh, that's so lame. You know, there's occasionally they're like, that's really funny. But, uh, right. but it's, I think, I think we're getting there. So, so I think it's a combination of both. It's kind of looking back and figuring out what you created to make it good then. And then, using what you have and your personality and how it changed. And of course, a lot of it, like I said, it's, it's doesn't necessarily have to mean that's who you are as a person. You can create characters and, and fake it along the way. A lot of times you see somebody that's, uh, I mean, they sound as is the word hip. I don't know. Uh, but they're relevant. They're funny. And then when you meet them, they're old. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, ah, so. Yeah, it's one concept in business that uh, you mentioned about creating and innovating. There's a lot of companies that if they stay stagnant for too long and they just keep going with what they've been doing over the years, they end up fading away. There's a lot of the top 100 companies from like the 40s and 50s that are hardly around today. And most of the ones that are dominating you know, the market space today are ones that have only been around for the past dozen plus years. So I think being able to stay creative and innovate and being inspired to try new things, it will really help out as far as new material, new programs, new whatever. You know, magicians, David Copperfield started out on stage banishing cards and he kept being creative and kept innovating his magic to where he's he then vanished an airplane. Then he vanished the Statue of Liberty. He walked through the Great Wall of China. So having that creative and innovative material, I think it helps not only in performing, but also you know, in business and 
know, creating commercials and even creating content for an audience that you may not be able to, to relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. I do think that, uh, the, the only way to stay afloat is, is to, to move along with the times and to, uh, because you're right, you look back at commercials and, and companies and how they grow. I mean, the the advertising and relatability, and they you know may find fine tune a target audience, you know, and that advertising and creativity has to coincide with uh, their audience. And it, that's it's true though. You can't just stay stay the same. It'll become stagnant and uh, and eventually die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think right now is a perfect example of that to where there are a lot of companies filing for bankruptcy and closing stores down because they're unable to adapt to this new environment of online orders, of contactless payment, of you know, delivering packages to, to everything that's just changing this whole you know, COVID quarantine environment. That is true. It's, it's, uh, this definitely has been a changer for... Uh, for everybody and you know one of the one of the technologies uh i think people that didn't use the technology uh in the past are, are now forced to use it but if you're a company and you don't you know you didn't adapt then uh, you're pretty much history yeah i'm sure there's a lot of them that thought this was in in a few months you know and a few months have passed you know and they're still struggling I know for a lot of performers, many have either decided to just wait it out, and then there are some that have adapted to doing virtual shows. Uh, I'm one of them. I, I ended up creating a, a Zoom magic show, which is tough because the type of magic I do involves audience participation. And now, since you're on a screen, I can't have you take a card. But there's a lot of effects that I would normally do that are no longer valid. So now it's creating new material a new show, a new, just almost new everything in this new environment of virtual screen magic. How can I still have you involved, involved when you know, you're on a screen in a different state? So that really pushed the creativity for a lot of performers. DJs are doing you no know, sets online. Comedians are doing shows online and they're having to adapt because this may be a new feature or a new segment of entertainment that in a year from now is going to be more widely accepted because it's cheaper. It's easier for everybody. You don't have to go out to a club. You can stay at home and drink. It's safer as a performer. I walk downstairs, I turn on a few switches and I can perform. I'm not having to drive an hour to downtown Chicago and an hour back sitting in traffic to do an hour show. Yeah, that's that's and that's one of the things that uh, that you've adapted to that is going to keep you uh, going as far as a lot of guys, uh, you know, that have been doing it for a long time, you know, that are like my age doing stand up and uh, their shows are gone. So there's no live performances and uh, a lot of them adapted to the the YouTube and the streaming and the other ones, there's so many that are like, ah, I can't perform without an audience. Well, you better learn how to because uh, <laughs> your career might end up being over if, uh, if you don't. You know, you can exactly. still be out there to, 
to the public. You just have to learn how to do it in another way. Exactly. So tell me more about the acting background. Well, you know, it, it all kind of is all interconnected. Uh, doing magic, you know, helped out as far as communicating with, with people and writing new material for the, for the magic tricks. And then I thought, you know, well, I don't need the magic. I can do stand up. And so I got into stand up and uh, some of the guys from the radio stations were like, man, we, we need to produce a morning show. We need content. So I started writing for them. And then eventually that led to doing our own morning show. Uh, and then I worked in, in radio for like 11 years doing comedy uh, here and there doing stand up, and then mainly producing the radio shows. But, uh, you know, I got tired of it and there were, there was a time for change, you know, I mean, I, I had to do something else. Uh, the show wasn't going to last forever. I didn't want to go from one show to another show, but I was doing commercials, uh, radio commercials uh, for many years and producing them. And I thought, you know, what's the jump from radio to television is, you know, it didn't seem that, that big of a stretch because, because I knew how to do it. <coughs> and, and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult. I had the stage time of doing comedy. I had the, uh, the ability to, to, you know, read commercial scripts and you, you act. It's basically acting. You get into character, whether you're doing more than a, uh, if it's not just a single script for one person, if it's not an announcer, if you're, if you're doing it more than one voice. Uh, but I, I just called down to new Orleans, had a, had a lot of uh, acting commercials, television and movies going on. I sent my resume over, gave them my experience. And uh, again, it was, it was really lucky. They said, you know, we got a commercial for you. That was two days after uh, I contacted them and did that commercial and did many more and it and it, you know eventually you kind of get in touch with with what you're able to do of course i went to uh, an acting coach to try to try to further uh my ability to to change characters for television and movies and i uh, got got a few television bookings and a few movie bookings and you know nothing huge i'm not rich and famous but it it changes to the uh the aspect of the creativity and how uh you adapt to uh, present yourself in a way and and it, it all started with magic you know and and magic is is communication and it just it just you know kind of paves the path for me it did uh to where i am now and that you know i didn't i got out of radio and I stopped doing magic, but magic is always a part of people's lives. I think once you've, you've done magic is, man, you can, you can open up any party. You're, you're the guy, you know, <laughs> you throw some uh, table magic out there and get people talking. But uh, yeah, that's how it got to the, the television and, and stuff. And then, and that's what happened again. It, it, the, the whole COVID thing, it, you know, you couldn't go to auditions anymore, you know, uh, it stopped everything. So one thing that it, it did open up was, uh, was the radio was still continuing 
and it was kind of flat and they wanted uh wanted me to go back and recreate a show that i had 15 years ago so uh so now i'm doing that i guess i'm kind of jumping around from one to the other but it's always good to try to recreate and and stay entertaining i guess but you know movies come back commercials i'll be jumping back into that as well yeah now one one concept i've been exploring lately is is conviction there's a, a lot of magicians that they perform an effect and it's just hey here it is and it almost ends up being like a puzzle for the audience to try to solve i think those magicians that are able to perform their their effects their illusions with the conviction of this is real magic is real and here's a demonstration of it then it impacts the audience greater so whenever you're in different roles and you're having to become that character at what point is this conviction of you are this person coming to play and how do you 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 channel that that that's a uh you know I was lucky enough to, to have so much stage time doing stand-up comedy and you can kind of, uh, kind of, I don't know if everybody's, I don't think, I don't think anybody, uh, I can't speak for anybody really. I can only speak for myself, but every time I'd go on stage, it wasn't this person. It's not the person I'm talking to, uh, you right now. It's, it's a, it's a character. It's a, it's an exaggeration. It's, 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 it's not, it's not me. You know, somebody comes up to you and like, Hey man, you know, and they expect you to be that person that you were on stage. It just doesn't happen. Mine was, uh, kind of the stoner laid back kind of, uh, I don't want to say stupid, but you know, I wasn't the smartest guy. Mm -hmm. So that character kind of, fell along and then it changed and then you become that dad so anyway the 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 point i'm making is i, I had that time to experiment with different characters on stage doing stand-up so if you're doing a bit about being angry uh and you're having a fight with your wife you know and you act it out you know it's 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 you're basically getting acting abilities that way. Uh, but, but getting acting classes and having somebody, uh, try to figure out what roles you want to play or what kind of character you want to develop in, in the show. It's, uh, I, I can Nolan, I kind of go off the direction of, of what they want. And then I just kind of go from it. there. <laughs> but, I guess I got lucky because the, the motivation isn't. Yeah, I don't know how to answer that, Nolan. <laughs> you know, it's, it was, it's funny, I could completely relate whenever you said that the person on stage is not who you actually are. And there's so many times when there's a few people that know me both as a regular person and as a magician, and they always make a comment about how I'm completely different on stage. Yeah, I'm more outgoing. I'm more upbeat, more confidence. Off stage, I'm introverted. I hate people to come around me. <laughs> uh, so it's weird. A lot of magicians and entertainers in general you know most of us are working through some sort of childhood issues on stage, 
And uh, I think that gives us a little bit of insight and ability to uh, adapt to new types of situations and, and perform in different environments. Yeah, I think, I think comedians and live performers, uh, you know, whether you do magic or I'm trying to think of anything else, but there's, I guess there's theater, but theater is, is, is acting. And that's, that's, uh, but, but doing stand up and doing magic totally, I believe gave me an edge on, on doing the acting. It didn't seem very much of a jump to, uh, to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like Neil Patrick Harris started out as a magician. Uh, Johnny Carson started out as a magician. magician. Steve Martin. I mean, there's a lot of famous actors that got their start in magic and that, that gave them the confidence, the framework to propel forward in other entertainment industries, such as either you know, singing, dancing, uh, TV, movies. See, I guess that's the, the, not the easy thing, but that's the thing that, that made it... Uh, I mean, when you're doing a live show and you know that that pressure of getting it right or to win the audience over, uh, you, you kind of got to do it. And and you got one chance to do it. You don't want to blow it. So when you move into a realm of like doing radio commercials where you can do it until it's perfect or you do television or, or movies, you know, you can always retake it or try it a different way. It's a... Uh, it's a lot easier. So. You know, you just said something that made me think of a question. You're talking about winning the audience over. So what can somebody who is giving, let's say, a keynote or a lecture or a presentation, and they notice they're losing the crowd, they're losing the audience, do you have any advice for them on how to get them back, maybe more engaged or on your side? You know, the, the only thing I uh, – my humor in itself is, is self-deprecating, you know? Uh, so, so I can't advise it, you know, for everybody, but uh, the times that I had to speak, you know, I always brought it to the forefront, like, wow, you guys, uh, I am seriously losing y'all. <laughs> you know? Have there been shows whenever you start to bomb, but we're able to recover? Yeah, you you know it's it's weird when someone's doing something and you get that feeling like, man, I'm losing them. And if you're feeling that way, you know they're feeling it too. Like you're getting that disconnect. So uh, one way I, I always went about it was, uh, you know, I got to change that. I brought it up. You know, it's like, wow, how much fun are we having? You know. It's like I, I, I didn't I didn't expect y'all either, you know? <laughs> but but still, it's sometimes you lose them and you can't bring it back. But uh, that's that's the risk of uh, of doing anything live. As far as a, a, my son-in-law is a preacher, and he started preaching, and I, you know, I'm like, okay, you got a good message there, but the way I see it is. Uh, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but it's all how you present it, you know, right. and it can be interesting or it can be boring and you, you want to get something to, to get their attention. And he, he came to me once and he said, uh, you know, I think I'm going to start off with humor. And, and I think that's it. You want to grab them from the very start. You want to make it interesting. You want to, uh, it doesn't have to, to do with, 
what you're talking about, you, you don't want to necessarily get the audience to engage in what you're saying. You know, you want to get them to engage in who you are as a person. So once they get to know you and you know somebody, then it's easier to talk to. You can talk to them about anything. You know, it's like breaking that ice. So I think it's, it's, it's important the very, the very beginning. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, getting the audience involved early. If they like you, they're pretty much going to like the presentation you're, you're going to give. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can talk about anything, really, I think. <laughs> <laughs> At least I have. But, but the, you know, there, there comes a point where it, people are like, how, how do you do that? How do you get on stage? How do you talk to people? How do you, you know, that would drive me crazy. But, and then I started thinking about it after I got that question a few times. But in a social situation, I'm nervous and I'm anxious. I don't know if most people are. I mean, it's not going to stop me from being social, but uh, I get a bit of an anxiety like, man, I don't know what to say. So I start talking. Hey, you know, I start engaging with people. And uh, I feel like when I go into a room, I get that little sense of paranoia that everybody's staring at me and talking about me and judging me. Mm -hmm. So there's no real difference of that feeling going away when I get on stage, you know? Yeah. They're still looking at me and judging me. So, but you still want to want them over. You still want them to like you, you know? Of course. We all want but, to be liked. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Dan, that's about uh, all the questions I got for you for today. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, is there anything you want to plug be, before we go? I want to plug your show, man, because that's, that's really good. You got the, uh, the interactive uh, virtual magic show i appreciate that, it is that right yeah yeah virtual magic and mystery show yeah and that's uh give give the times man because that's that's innovative that's you know i've always been proud of you when uh when i met you, you were just a kid i think 15 or so and and uh you know it's it's always awesome to see somebody uh continuing their dream of of you know, their passion, whatever it is, but you know, ours is in entertainment and magic and comedy. And, uh, yeah, I'm real proud of you. And, and this is, a you're, 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 uh, adapting to the times. And, and I think a lot right now people need entertainment and, uh, they need a, an escape and a release and, and you're, you're offering that to people, man. So that's awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hopefully there was something in here that you can take out and use. If so, that's great. That's the whole purpose of these podcasts is to give you concepts that we use in magic that you can use personally. If you liked it, please subscribe, share, comment, like. And until next time, hope you have better business with magic.